You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. What is the goal of the Christian life? You're to think about, and you're in this room today, or you're watching online, and you are a Christian. What is the goal of your life? I think if you were to ask, go out in public and ask people, what is the goal of a Christian's life? Some would say it's to follow a list of rules, right? You've got a list of rules here, and it is your responsibility to follow those list of rules. That's the goal of the Christian life, to perfectly follow all of the rules in Scripture, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 28, is helping us understand what the goal of the Christian life is. And he's doing it by showing us how the religious people of his day were misinterpreting Scripture. They were taking Scripture and twisting it to fit what best worked with their lives and how they could follow it and still break it, but still follow it, that kind of idea. And so he's working through these six topics and it's called uh, six antithesis of Matthew chapter five, where he takes what the scribes and Pharisees would say of the scriptures and say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, So you've heard scripture interpret this way, but I say this to you. There's this rhythm that he sets. And we looked at the first three last week when he talked about murder and adultery and divorce. And today we're going to look at the last three, oaths, retaliation, and last week I had the word love or vengeance here. I changed it to love. So just so you know, if you're taking notes, um, go back to your notes, scratch out the word vengeance and write love. The reason I did that is I think love captures more of the heart of that section than vengeance. Although it is referring some to vengeance, I think love is the greater uh, capture there of that, that section of scripture. So last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the first three. This week, we're going to work through these last three. Let me summarize last week's message in this way. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, do not murder. But he goes on to say to deal with anger in your heart. You have heard it said, Jesus said, not to commit adultery. But I say to you, get radical with lust in your heart. You have heard it say, divorce, you can divorce as long as you have a certificate of divorce. And Jesus says, Pursue your spouse in your heart. That's just a high level view of of what Jesus was saying in those six topics. So we come today to the last three topics that Jesus chooses to address that the scribes and Pharisees were misinterpreting and that Jesus wanted to give us a clear understanding of. So would you please stand with me as we read God's word together, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there or go in your device to Matthew chapter 5, 
I'm going to read out loud. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. Uh, I'm going to go verses 33 to verse 48. Let's see what God's word has to say to us today. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to you, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is, the, is, is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs and from, from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your father is per perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you. for the gift of gathering with your people today to worship you through song and through seeing how we live out what we believe with resource health, through coming to you in prayer. But now, Lord, we come to the part of our service where we worship you through submitting ourselves to your word. And so I pray as we submit ourselves to your word and to this section of scripture that you have us at today, that you would give our church a heart to hear your word and obey your word. Help us not to be a people that just come week after week and hear your word, but help us, Lord, to be a church that hears your word and obeys your word. May we be, as James says, not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And so as we come to another difficult section of scripture to get down and apply it to our lives, it can be really difficult. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to submit ourselves to you, to your word, and to leave this place with a heart to be obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus begins this second triad of topics that he's going to deal with in verse 33 with an oath. He says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The idea that Jesus is talking about here is the idea of making a promise with a guarantee. 
One of the things I love about having a family is that last night as we're talking about what we're going to talk about today at church, one of my kids is like, what is an oath, right? Like, what is that? And so an oath, if you're wondering what that is, is a promise with a guarantee. It is this idea of invoking something or someone greater than you to bring credibility to your promise or commitment. So that's what it meant to, to swore, to swear or, or to make an oath was to invoke something or someone greater than you to bring credibility to your promise or commitment. We see that God actually does this in Hebrews chapter six. The author of Hebrews is recounting the story of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. And in Hebrews chapter six and verse 13, it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, now listen to it, since he had no, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So as God looked around to make a promise with Abraham that he would bless him and to find something greater than him to swear by, he couldn't find anything, right? Because he is the greatest. So he had to swear by himself. So the Mosaic law forbade irreverent oaths. The idea was light uses of the Lord's name. Remember, what is the fourth commandment? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That really doesn't mean don't cuss. That, that's not the heart of that. To not take the Lord's name in vain is to not use the Lord's name as a guarantee to a promise. Don't do that lightly. Right? You don't throw his name out there. So what had happened was they had taken this commandment and they had twisted it to say this, as long as you don't swear on the Lord's name, you can get out of these promises that you make. So swear on heaven, swear on earth, right? Swear on Jerusalem, make a promise with a guarantee and it's connected to heaven or earth or Jerusalem and then you can get out of it. So they're trying to find loopholes in their promise. They're saying, here's the law that God has given. Don't swear by his name. And they're saying, okay, just as long as you don't use the name of God, but other things that you swear by, you can get out of your promises. So Jesus is correcting the interpretation when he says in verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And all the ladies in the room said, mm, yes, you can, God. Yes, you're right. That's right. You can, you can change the hair color and all. Ugh. My wife recently has had some gray hair popping out. And it's been like, this is tragic in our house, right? She is, we're talking about hair color. It's like, hun, you are beautiful. You do not, like, nobody notices that. I know. So, so ladies, calm down, all right? It's, it's. Jesus is saying at the root of your hair, right? At the root of your hair, you can't change it white or black at the, at the root of it. What is Jesus saying? Jesus' point is he is creator and Lord of everything down to the hairs of your head. Amen. So even to make a promise with a guarantee that doesn't use the Lord's name, but uses the stuff that belongs to him, you're, you're doing the same 
thing. You're being dishonest. That was the heart of it. He was going after their deceit and dishonesty because look at verse 37. Let what you say simply be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He says, if you're trying to be dishonest by saying, well, I swear by heaven and I can get out of that because I didn't swear by his name, but I swore by heaven. You're being deceitful. And he's actually saying you're being like your father, the devil. Because in John chapter eight and verse 44, Jesus refers to the devil as the father of lies. That he is the deceitful one. And so he's saying there that if you do anything more than just saying being living with integrity and saying my yes is yes and my no is no. If you do anything more than that, you are like your father, the devil. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. And Jesus says, you are to live with integrity from the heart. What is integrity? Integrity is that our talk matches our walk. That's what integrity is. That when you say yes, you mean yes. And when you say no, you mean no. Integrity is that our talk matches our walk. James picks up on this in James chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Listen, you have been designed to be people of integrity. So live it out. You, you're not designed to live with deceit. Remember, this is not a... a uh, this is not a put together manual, assembly manual. This is a owner's manual. You belong to Christ. Therefore, live with integrity from your heart. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He goes on verses 38 through verse 42 and talks about retaliation. He says this in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is in the Old Testament known as the law of retaliation. It can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 19 in verse 20 and 21. And this law was given to provide justice and purge evil from the midst of the people. The law was given to protect against inappropriate punishment. The, hence, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was, it was given to not allow somebody who had their eye taken out to the other person to lose their whole body, right? It was that idea of the, the law of retaliation. And it was to be imposed. And here, here's the important piece. It was to be imposed by civil authorities and not individuals. So retaliation was forbidden on an individual level in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 tells us this. And so this law of retaliation, yes, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life is the idea, but it was only to be executed within the, 
law of the court of law, right? That's where it was to be taken care of. Not on an individual level that when you were upset with somebody, you could retaliate against them. So Jesus says, you have heard it said that it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But look at what he says in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, let me say, Jesus is not opposing the legal application of this. He has made that clear in the Old Testament. What he's making the point of here is he's opposing personal revenge and retaliation. That, that I'm going to make this personal and it's going to be between me and you. That, he's saying that, that's not what the law was, how the law was designed to work. You, it was designed for you to go to court and for them to work through that. It's not to be this personal retaliation. And Jesus goes on and gives four applications or four illustrations for them in their context. Look, look at it with me. The end of verse 39. What does this look like for them not to resist the one who is evil on a personal level. He says this, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. To slap someone was an act of disrespect. We would sort of feel that today, but I think a better equivalent for us today would be to think of somebody giving you the middle finger. Right? That's the idea of the disrespect that you feel when somebody does that. That's the disrespect they would feel when somebody would slap them. And so Jesus says, if somebody slaps you, you turn the other cheek. If somebody insults you, you don't retaliate. If somebody gives you the middle finger, you don't give them the middle finger back. That's what Jesus is saying to his audience. We, 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 don't, we don't retaliate. Look at verse 40, second illustration. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. A tunic was an inner garment. Um, like today, I'm wearing a sweater, but underneath my sweater, I have this shirt. This is my boy, Steve. Um, it's from my uh, senior, the senior group last year gave this to me. It's really soft and nice shirt, so it's nice to wear under sweaters. To sue somebody for their tunic would be to sue them for the undershirt. And Jesus says, if they sue you for their undershirt, give them your sweater as well. So what is Jesus saying? If someone sues you, respond with grace. So you give them your undershirt that they ask for, but what is grace? Grace is you give someone something they don't deserve. Go ahead and give them your sweater as well. This is Jesus helping us understand what he's saying by this personal retaliation that shouldn't be a part of the Christian's life. The third example that he gives us is found in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And all the runners in the room are like, let's go, right? Like I can live this one out, right? Like I can do a couple miles, no, no big deal. What is Jesus talking about when he says, if, you, if, they, if anyone forces you to go one, go with them too? Well, what had happened is in this culture that the Roman soldiers had begun to treat the, the, the people that were under their rule like they were nothing. And one way that they humiliated them was when a Roman soldier would have his stuff to carry with him, they would make 
the citizens carry it with them and they could only carry it with them one mile, right? They, they, if the Roman soldier said to you, carry my stuff one mile, you had to do it as, as a citizen, right? You had to submit to them. So they would humiliate them by making them carry their stuff with, for them one mile. And so Jesus says, when that Roman soldier comes and says, carry my stuff one mile, don't just go one mile with them. Go two miles with them. When someone humiliates you, Jesus says, show compassion. Go the extra mile. The last example, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So in the context, who are we talking about here? Well, what did Jesus say in verse 39? But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. So we're talking about people that have mistreated you, the people that have hurt you. And he says, these are the evil people. And he says here in the context, if they come to you and they beg from you, give to them. If they come to you and want to borrow something, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is saying, be generous. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, serve those from the heart who offend you. Who does that? Who serves people from the heart who offends them? Mark 10 45, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, a payment for many. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Who is our example of serving those from the heart who have offended us? Jesus. Amen. That's the gospel in summation. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. In fact, we deserve the opposite of it. And yet Jesus came and served those who were enemies of his so that we could be made right with God. Paul calls us to the same thing in Romans chapter 12 verses 17 through 21. It was like all these guys sort of knew each other and talked and were led by the spirit. Look at, listen to Paul's words. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, listen, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, be generous, feed him. If he's thirsty, be generous, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The attitude of I don't get mad, I get even, 
should be foreign to the follower of Jesus Christ. One more. Love. Look at verses 43 through verse 48. You have heard it said. Last time we're going to hear Jesus use this rhythm here. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Leviticus 19.18 says, you are to love your neighbor as yourselves. Well, the scribes and Pharisees had made a few revisions to the love your neighbor as yourself. First, they took off as yourself. And instead of love your neighbor as yourself, they said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In Bible times, a neighbor was anybody who would come across your path. If you want to see this illustrated, go to Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, where you see the story of, they come to Jesus and say, who is my neighbor? And it's the story of the good Samaritan who sees the man on the side of the road. That was his neighbor. It wasn't the guy living next to him. It was somebody who'd come across his path. And so they had twisted that to say, love your neighbor is to love the people that think like you, that act like you, that believe like you. And if anybody doesn't think, act, or believe like you, then you hate them. So love the people that are like you, hate the people that are not like you. But what does Jesus say in verse 44? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who would do such a thing? Who would love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who loves their enemies? Jesus does. Who prays for those who persecute him? Well, you go to Luke chapter 23 in verse 34 and you find Jesus being nailed to a Roman cross. Men hating him, taking nails more like road, uh, railroad tie nails and putting them into his hands and his feet. And as Jesus is being nailed to the cross, he's praying for his Enemies and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. John Stott said this, if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for his enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice, or sloth could justify the silencing of ours? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You reflect the father's love for us through that. Then he goes on to say, for he makes 
The sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. When you look at common grace of God, the, this creation and the rain and the snow, it just didn't snow on my house last night, and my neighbor's house didn't get any snow because I am just and they are unjust, right? No, snow fell on everybody's homes. That's the common grace of God. And when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, what we're showing is the common grace of God. Amen. That we're not giving people, quote unquote, what they deserve. Because we don't get what we deserve. We're showing them, we're showing them grace. But look at verse 46. And this is Jesus just sticking the knife a little bit deeper into their heart. When he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Now, I know we read that and think, well, what's the big deal about a tax collector? In that culture, tax collectors were hated because they had to not only get taxes for what the Romans were asking, but the only way they made money was off commission. So they not only had to take money from the people, that they, the Romans, that they didn't care, but then they had to put a percentage on top of that so that they could make a living by. So nobody liked tax collectors. And Jesus says to his audience, don't tax collectors love each other? Don't they go to meals together? Don't they hang out together? I mean, what's the reward in that? He goes on and says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? He brings out another group of people that the Jewish people didn't care for. Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Don't the Gentiles treat those that are other Gentiles with kindness and respect and love? What's, what's the difference between you and a tax collector and a Gentiles if you only love the people that love you? Jesus is getting to their heart and he's correcting their thinking on love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says to us, love and pray for your enemy from the heart. I read this quote this week that I think summarizes what Jesus is saying in these verses. It says this, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. Let me say that again. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. All right. Whenever I prepare a message, I try to think in three lanes. I try to think in the lane of explaining the text. We call that exegetical study, right? Where we're going verse by verse, line by line, word by word, understanding the text. But then I also try to think in the lane of illustration. How do we understand the text from other scripture, from other writers, from that, that kind of idea of even within our culture, how could we illustrate the text? Then I end usually by thinking, how do we apply this text to our lives? Where does the, the rubber meet the road for us as a church family? And to be honest with you, as I studied these last three, 
And I thought about ways I could apply it to our lives and illustrate it. I, I was listening to a book that one of our church members had recommended to me a few weeks ago. And as I was listening through this book, I was convicted by the things I was learning in the word and how this author was taking these concepts and applying them. My, my heart was revealed in the, the ugliness of my heart when it comes to retaliation, the ugliness of my heart when it comes to loving your enemies and praying for those. And, and so as I was reading through it, I didn't even know those were areas of my life that maybe ugliness was hanging out in. And so what I thought today is I actually don't want to apply the text to your life today because I want you to do that work. I want you to do the hard work of pulling your heart out before God and saying, God, is there any area of my life where I'm not living with integrity? Is there any area of my life where I'm seeking revenge, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that I need to turn over to you, that I need to respond in grace and in compassion? Is there any area of my life where I'm loving my neighbor, quote unquote, but I'm hating those who don't think like me, believe like me? I want you to do the hard work because here's what I think. If I tried to apply it, we'd get distracted. And you'd want to counter what I said with, well, you don't know my situation. And the reality is I don't know your situation. So instead of wrestling with me, I want you to wrestle with the Lord. I want you to wrestle with his word. I want you to study his word and know it for your own heart and life. And what does this look like when it comes to street level for you? How are you going to live this out this week in, in your life? Because what is the goal of all this? What is the goal of Jesus correcting the misinterpretation of the scribes and Pharisees as they took scripture and misinterpreted? What is the goal? Verse 48 is the goal. This is the goal of the Christian life. I started with that question. What is the goal? It's not to keep a list of rules. The goal in the Christian life is you, therefore, must be perfect, mature, as and I love this, your heavenly father is perfect. The goal of the Christian life is that we look more and more like our father in heaven. How do I look more and more like God? How do I look more and more like Christ? It starts in my heart. It wasn't about following a list of rules. It's never been about following a list of rules. It's always been about the heart. And when God has my heart, he has my to-do list. When God has my heart, he has everything else in my life. And what is on the inside is going to eventually work itself out on the outside. And so Jesus says, what is the goal of these six interpretation, misinterpretations that I'm correcting? The goal is that you would be perfect. Just like your father in heaven is perfect. Because you belong to the father. You have it in you to be all that God is calling you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
for these six topics that we've had the opportunity to work through over the last two weeks. Has it been easy in our hearts? No. It is. My heart has been pulled out of my chest repeatedly over the last two weeks and cut open and revealed ugliness. And I know, Lord, it's done the same for our church family. And so we come to you poor in spirit, acknowledging that we cannot be perfect, be mature apart from you. I know this is what you've made us for, to look more and more like you. And so we can't do it apart from you. And so we would ask that you would help us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. The areas where you have done surgical work on our hearts, I pray that we would respond to that from the inside out. If you don't have someone's heart in this room today, my prayer today is that they would become a child of yours. That they would put their faith and trust in you. And they would know the freedom that comes from knowing, I I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things because of my father because of his love and his grace and his goodness. So help us, Lord, to follow hard after you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to antiochbbc.org. That's antiochbbc.org. God's best to you.